Hello and welcome back to an A to Z of UK TV drama. Oh, there's a dog barking outside. Can you hear, can you hear that? <laughs> well, it's because you're on the estates down the Falls Road, mate. <laughs> uh, really? Down the Falls? The Falls! Uh, well, you were lucky, so you were. Catch yourself on. Nay. Nay. Now it's time to record the podcast. We'll try again, shall we? I think we should. Hello and welcome back to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. How are you doing? No, we can't do that. That's bad. That's that's racism. Potato. Potato. Dear God. So, so you got dogs barking. I've got. I've, they're digging up the road at the back of the house today. So God knows what the soundtrack's going to sound like. Do you think I should do a proper version as well? Oh, well, yes, yes, get properly British. Yes, sorry. Oh, should we just leave it? Yes, should we just leave on. it like that? That would be funny. It's not too racist, is it? Or is it really racist? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I don't. Know. I'll leave it. Let's leave it. If you're offended, apologies. Okay. <clears throat> anyway. Hello and welcome to a eight side of UK TV drama with you, Andy, and me, Martin. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm very good. Well, I mean, there's a large chunk of the uh, episode one does involve our hero um, trying to teach himself to to speak the Irish. Um, so I, I feel it's it's slightly appropriate because obviously our hero is not. Well, he is, but he isn't. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> You're already doing subclauses, and we have we don't even know what it is yet. <laughs> I like there to be a bit of mystery. So could you could you please reveal what today's drama is? Martin? Yes, we're we're doing the the cheery uh, little number that appeared uh, for on, on three consecutive nights, stripped across a week in in October uh, nineteen eighty two, uh, uh, late October nineteen eighty two, the twenty fifth to twenty seventh, and it's a three part serial uh, called Harry's Game, which was made by Yorkshire Television, out of Leeds. Uh, and is set in the time of the Troubles. Uh, and when we say the Troubles, we're not talking about anti-Mildred. We're talking about Northern Ireland in the in the early uh, 1980s. Uh, and indeed after the, uh, the terrible 10, 15 years prior to that. Now, Harry's Game is is one of those um, serials. It's, it's, it's like a mini-series that, yeah. that really hit home with the public when it was broadcast. And... Yet, I sort of think it's kind of got a bit forgotten, apart from the fact it had a very, very, very high-profile theme tune. And I now think that, nowadays this is, this is, people yeah. remember the theme tune more than they remember the programme. Yeah. Well, this was all I knew about Harry's Game, mm. but only because Marisa just started singing it in my ear. In fact, before I came online here to, to record this podcast, <laughs> she was saying... She was starting to sing it in my ear just to get me in the mood. Indeed. But she sang it very badly. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. All that um, stuff. Yes. But theme from Harry's Game, as you say, mm. very popular piece. Mm. It charted at number five in the UK singles chart mm. in late 82. Indeed. And, and um, gave Clannad to the world and indeed Enya. Sail away, sail away. And... <laughs> Uh, and for some people, that's, that's reason enough to never forgive it, really. <laughs> yes, exactly. For that reason alone. Um, can I just read a quote for you? Oh, I'm sure you can, yes. So, actually, to you, rather. Mm -hmm. The series was well received and added to the channel's reputation for producing quality TV drama. Mm. I'm sorry? Well, ITV's reputation for producing quality mm. TV drama? Mm. I mean, at the time, Listen. I mean, you've you've got... Big stuff at Granada. You've got Jewel in the Crown and all the you know, Granada, oh. Granada doing. So do you think contextually that's what? fair? Do you think contextually that's fair? I, I think that 
Yorkshire were trying. I mean, if you think about it, Yorkshire um, later on did the Biderbacks. So you know, they, they, it, they also did. Can I just say they also did Yellow Thread Street? <laughs> well, yeah, and again, that that basically is another point I was going to make later, which is uh, about Ray Lonham. But we'll we'll come to that. Mm. Um, but, so tell me more background about Harry's game, well, please. Well, I, I can read you. I can read you the very blurb from ah. the very from the very. Uh, uh, Go for it. It's not exactly a box set, is it? It's uh, it's a single DVD uh, release, which is a cabinet minister is gunned down outside his home in London by a member of the provisional IRA. Security protocols come into immediate effect, but the assassin evades them and he manages to get back to Belfast unscathed. The military send Captain Harry Brown, a soldier who specialises in deep cover work in hostile situations, into the Falls Road area of Belfast, a place notorious for civil unrest. His mission? To infiltrate himself into the local population, hunt down the assassin and kill him on his own territory, proving to the IRA that they are not safe even in their own backyard. It is a terrifying game of cat and mouse taking place in a civilian occupied war zone where one mistake means certain death. Based on the best-selling novel by ex-ITN correspondent Gerald Seymour, this critically acclaimed top 10 ratings winner stars Ray Lonnan as Captain Harry Brown and Derek Thompson as IRA terrorist Billy Downs. Its haunting theme by the Irish group Clannad, which is one of the things you have to mention on the back cover, reached the top five in the UK singles chart. The theme music was nominated for a BAFTA and the series won director Lawrence Gordon Clark the prestigious Golden Leopard's Eye Award. <laughs> yeah, exactly. None of us have At heard the of. Locarno International Film Festival, this DVD contains all three complete and unedited episodes. Three episodes. The interesting thing about it being three episodes is I, I do think it feels like a three-act play. It's it's a very much a three-part you know, you've got the setup in part one. You've got the yeah. sort of the undercover bit in part two, and you've got the the denouement in part three. And it does feel very structured like that. Sorry, I've got a clang to 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 make. Oh, so okay. if you want to get your bell, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too far away. But yes, okay. I um I interviewed David Cunliffe, the executive producer, back in the day. Wow. Uh, for Fall of Eagles. Fall I interviewed him alongside um, Gail Honeycutt mm. and Charles Kay. Okay. And we had a jolly time together mm. in somewhere bizarre near London. But anyway, the point is, um, I really wish I'd talked to him about this rather than talking to him about Fall of Eagles. Because <laughs> he didn't want to talk about Fall of Eagles because he just directed a few episodes of it. Right. And he'd actually produced so many important series that I think he was just bemused that I was talking to him about that when he'd only directed it. And of course, this was much nearer in his mind at that point and more celebrated so david cunliffe is a name also director lawrence gordon clark as you've mentioned he um i think mark gatiss has got quite pally with him because he's best known for the ghost story for christmas mm. that series of mr james ghost stories mm. and i think they they did a documentary together or something anyway mm. he did lots of those including i don't this is really not my thing because i'm not in for horror at all mm. but um but the Ash Tree is one I watched, which was one of his, um, and that was with Edward Petherbridge and Lala Ward, which was quite quite surprisingly terrifying. Yes, uh -huh. <laughs> I, I've still got my uh, BFI set of Ghost Stories for Christmas that I haven't opened yet. <laughs> well, I would recommend you start with that one. All yeah, right. And also Gerald Seymour, as we said, I just wanted to read a quote from him as well. Mm. Um, this is about his ITN reporting days. Mm. I despaired that the men who were leaders on both sides of the divide were unable to step across barricades and sit down with each mm. other. And he's also said that his experiences as a journalist in Belfast led him to write 
Harry's game, um, you know, from that insider point of view, what it was like living there and and reporting there. Although obviously the the journalist side of it didn't come into it, which I'm quite surprised about actually. I'm, I thought you know as a journalist mm. he might bring some more of that into it, but we can come back to content and his decisions later. But I understand it's quite a faithful adaptation. Mm. Yes. It's interesting, um, I think, that it's all shot on film. It's all shot on a a very sort of grainy uh, uh, 16mm film, which looks very documentary style. It does, it's aiming for that documentary style. Whether or not it succeeds at that is is questionable. But, But the thing about when you see footage now of what was happening in Northern Ireland in those times, it, it feels very authentic, despite the fact that yeah. a lot of it was actually filmed in Leeds. It's uh, it, fe- it does feel very, very authentic to the sheer grimness. I think one of the things I, I wanted to say right from the outset when we, we were going to do this is that yeah. people messing around with the Northern Ireland Agreement and the protocols now yeah. really yeah. need to understand how what it was like grim yeah. the situation yeah. in northern ireland really really was it it's it it was a horrible period of time and 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 you know there's a horrible paranoia about you know the parcels on the buses and trains and all that kind of thing but it was just for the people living there it was dire this really was an occupied territory and mm. the other thing that gets me is there are I mean, while i was watching this i also watched a play for today which is called your man from the six counties which is about a lad who whose father's been assassinated by the ira and then he goes to live with a uh, with a, a family in the south and you you do get the impression that the drama that was coming out of of northern ireland it's it, it's bleak it's it's yeah. so terrifyingly bleak and the people who are sort of you know for their own personal gain or whatever are messing around with the the agreement i mean the agreement came 15 years after this yeah the good friday agreement and and the things that now people are starting to take for granted because you know as we all know things always stay the same and never change 70 years you know they they do change and they can change quite quickly if you start messing around with something that's very finely balanced so yeah, this course. this is a reminder of a period that we need reminding of, I think. Well, I think that's the problem with, with Britain today, or at least how it's governed. Mm. But I think the public as well, that we forget about the history, we forget about the mm. things that have happened and how delicate it all is yeah. and how Northern Ireland is a balance. And it's not at all resolved. I mean, I was in both Ireland and Northern Ireland um, this summer um, doing work there. And it's still very much something that everyone talks about and how how it's such a, a delicate piece mm. and yeah it's i mean northern ireland itself as as a as a as a part of the united kingdom mm. is so problematic mm. and um walking around it obviously it's transformed but yeah it's i mean i, th- I think the other thing i wanted to say was that um i remember the footage of belfast standing out mm. in late 70s early 80s when i was a kid yeah and it being so different to everything else I was seeing, because it was just like, as, as you saw in Harry's game, authentically, all the things being thrown at tanks, and mm. the public in open revolt. Well, the gun, know, the gun towers and, and the, you yeah. know, the railings and, you know, the barricades and, and, all, yeah. and all this kind of thing. I mean, this is, this is you know, <clears throat> this is a city in, in the UK. It's not, it's, you know, it, you know, it's not it's one of these 
countries that we all sort of sit around and you know far away and think oh what a terrible regime this is something that yeah. the british government had in place in a town a city in their own actual on their own turf as it were yeah yeah we should talk about the actors hmm. but before we do let's just briefly say what we think about it now can i go first yes if you like yeah okay so i'd never seen this before mm-hmm. And I was expecting it to be a bit old-fashioned, mm. a bit slow. Mm. Um, I didn't know who was in it in terms of actors, mm. so I had no, you know, mm. reference in, in that sense. But um, I was blown away about how by how modern it was, and how I felt it was it was very tight, and made in a very modern way. I felt in many, you know, in terms of how it was stitched together and how it was quite terse yeah and there wasn't lots and lots of scenes of people talking endlessly in whitehall and you know or in northern ireland it was it was very fast and i was surprised how how well it was done i just thought honestly i wasn't expecting this at all for 1982 so going back to 1982 and watching it, i can imagine it was really ridiculously hard-hitting and so different because mm. tv wasn't like this then mm. So I, I, a very big thumbs up from me, mm. although I have got issues with it, which I'll I'll come to. There, there later are on. there are always issues with stuff. That, yeah. That's, I yeah. mean, it's it's forty years old. You you, you have so, to accept that. So did you watch it at the time? It's weird. I don't think I did, but I was aware of it, and that's mm. that's a weird thing. Sometimes I mean, this uh, eighty two specific October eighty two. I would have been, I'd probably have just been starting my uh, foundation course in art. Yeah. So I probably was a bit self-obsessed. A bit. <laughs> I may. I mean, I was a big, always a big fan of telly, but there might have been something else I was watching. It's it's very hard yeah. for me to say. I was very aware of it because it's interesting. I've known that it. it spoiler alert! It doesn't end well, and I've known that mm. for a very long time. But actually, yeah. when I watched it, I was very aware that I hadn't seen that before the, okay. the the way that final episode so it may be, well be i watched the first episode or you know or for some reason i didn't see all of it uh mm. but i was like say aware of it and of course the tune was in the charts and obviously we were all you know disco dancing to it you know <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to see that <laughs> put that on put, put that on mr dj see, see how you yeah, clear the floor exactly. <laughs> I noticed from the top of the pop's performance that they weren't actually didn't have an audience. I don't know whether they requested that, but it looked like it was filmed in a quiet, mm. empty studio. Their performance, it, top, it top of the pop, presumably so, so they weren't hit by balloons because mm. it was that period where where they were pretending they were having a party every week on top of the pops. I was very conscious watching it that we were doing yet another book adaptation somehow. You're obsessed <laughs> but, with that. I don't but care. then again, that's that's drama, isn't it? I mean, drama tends to be based yeah, on on things. So. So. so it's it, I, I, it that just crossed my mind because I thought it's it's not quite the ginger tree in tone, is it? It's <laughs> it's not quite it's not quite um, enchanted April. It's it's no, but that's good. It's good. It's it, a good departure from it's, all that. It's a it's a it's a very uh, as obviously 40 years old now, but up to the minute now, current, ripped from the headlines, telling a story about, well, you could argue it's a story about the cock-up theory. <laughs> because Tell me I, more about the cock-up theory. In the often. sense that, you know how people think there's a conspiracy or anything like that, but actually hmm. the, the general consensus is when you take Occam's razor, it's basically the cock-up theory of history is that most things happen because people, somebody messes up somewhere. 
All right, yeah. I mean, you've got to mention at, the, at first that Harry is doomed. He's but he's doomed from the beginning, and all yeah, these but little. Can I just say about that doom? That doom is just ridiculous. The only reason why he's doomed, yes, yes, he's doomed because it's this sort of series mm. and. The expectation is mm. he won't get out alive because it's kind of mm. underlined and highlighted with massive, mm. with massive yellow bright markers. Mm. But it's because Harry's an idiot. Sorry. <laughs> He's like, he does all these things. As we come to it later on, he doesn't have any urge or intent to get out of there. So by the end of it, I was quite happy he was doomed. Well, <laughs> but, he was an idiot. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm saying is that the, the pieces that cause the outcome are all little bits of incompetence and little bits of miscommunication that happen all the way down the line um and i just i just i like that sort of that's that it's basically a series of unfortunate events played out against the backdrop of of terrorism and 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 horror in northern you Ireland. See, i didn't really buy it like that no. i didn't see it like i didn't see it like that because okay. i felt he was just he was just incompetent. Right. I thought no one in deep cover would have given himself away like he did to Josephine Laverty so directly. I also didn't think that him sitting there in his bedroom waiting for them to come and kill him was very sensible. I was I was so bemused by this and I was like, what is he doing? Why is he sitting there? He's given all the information. He's identified the man. Why is he sitting waiting? I will never understand it. I thought it was very odd. And it, it, that was the only thing I really disliked other than i felt that ray lonnan's performance was really wooden I, okay. I don't see him as a leading man ray lonnan was the actor of choice for ytv wasn't he i mean it just come off sandbaggers for a start yes. so sandbaggers had just been very popular and and if you needed someone to 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 play a government assassin that as a casting leap goes we think oh we got lonnan <laughs> he's on board you know, yeah. And, of course, later on, he was the chief in Yellow Thread Street, the mighty Yellow Thread Street, which, again... The mighty Yellow Thread Street, um, the rubbish Yellow Thread Street. So again, but you kind of think the cast... I, I, somebody at YTV really liked Ray Long, you know? I mean, he's he's OK. I prefer him when he's doing his Irish rather than when he's doing his plummy <clears> um, English. But I don't know. I just felt... I also I think another problem I had with it was I didn't think it was Harry's game, but maybe that's the point. Mm. Is it a pun? Because I don't think it's his game. It's a game played out between Whitehall and the Northern Ireland yes. Army Administration, and that's that. I like the fact that mm. that's it's their game and not his. Well, even but he observes into... in the interview that's on the disc, isn't he? He observes oh, yeah. that he's not actually in it much. <laughs> he's talked Who's about a lot, but he's not in it much. Who Ray Lonnan? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Which, considering you know, it it is uh, in his picture, you know, he's seen as the lead and everything like that. But actually, he doesn't appear even in the first half hour, really, does he? I mean, it's yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting way of you know, being the character that's talked about, but not necessarily being proactive. He's on final approach. I brought the file on. Oh, give me a digest. I can't read in this bloody light. His name is Brown, Harry James, rank captain, age 34, uh, born Portadown, Northern Ireland. Service UK, Catrick, Plymouth, Tidworth, MOD. Service overseas, Cyprus, Borneo, Aden, Oman, Berlin. Mentioned in dispatches, MC. What's the military cross citation? Oman. He lived for three months as a native in the Arab Quarter there, supplying information about terrorist operations. 
As a result, important arrests were made. Constant risk of certain torture and death if discovered. And that's the lad we want. And a nervous breakdown for his pains. Well, that's history now. What surprises me, and I, and I keep thinking about this, is actually on the DVD cover, Benjamin Whitrow doesn't get a mention, and I think... That's of... bizarre. He's the best thing in it. Mm. But I, the only problem I have with Benjamin Whitrow is I mistake him occasionally for the guy who played the headmaster in Biderbeck, and it's... Uh... <laughs> and I've made that that's mistake very... before. <laughs> that's evil of him, isn't it? Well, no, I mean, it's just one of those things. I, I was thinking, oh, yes, and of course he's... I was actually writing the note about him also being in Biderbeck, and I thought, no, he isn't. It's, it's not him, and I keep doing it. <laughs> So, yeah, so we have Benjamin Whitrose Davidson. We also have Derek Thompson, yes. who is obviously... Charlie Fairhead. <laughs> I knew you'd get in before I had a chance to say it. <laughs> I just knew it. You're desperate. Charlie Fairhead uh, in a perm. Well, I think it's his natural hair. Um, I think Charlie Fairhead, or rather Derek Thompson, is very good in this. I can see mm. why they selected him for Casualty as mm. someone who would be an audience identification character mm. um, in Casualty, because he is quite sympathetic in this, mm. despite the fact he's... Gunning down, yes, the evil, <laughs> evil, brutal Charlie Fairhead. Yes, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. Um, so you've also got Jill Braley or Gil Braley as mm. Josephine Laverty. I thought she was pretty good. Mm. Can I tell you who my standout was? And I was so surprised. So uh, surprised. Was it Jeffrey Chater? No. <laughs> Go it on. Was bloody Linda Robson from Birds of a Feather. Ah, yes, she's good in the. I mean, she's, she's not in so it much. good yeah. as Theresa McCorrigan. I was thinking. That's never her. Mm. Oh, it is. And she can act. Mm. And she can do it. Well, she can definitely do an Irish accent. Mm. I don't know how authentically Northern Ireland, mm. Irish it was. Northern Ireland. Mm. But it was, it was pretty good. There was one mom about three weeks ago. Perhaps for one night, one mom. Look, girl. One man, and we know he was there. One man, you stupid little cow. One man. One man slept in your house, yes or no. Look at me, girl! Yes or no? Yes. So we can hear it. Yes or no? Yes. What was his name? What was the name of this one man? What are you trying to do to me? You know I'll get done in. I can't. It doesn't matter. I don't know his name. We want his name. He just came and went in the night. Oh, better than that, Teresa. I was surprised by her. Yeah. I thought she was just a comedy actress. Well, it's odd because uh, I, uh, well, we we remember her from things like Tomorrow People and You Must Be Joking and the you know the Thames circle yeah. of actors that the child actors that they kept yeah. giving work to um, <clears throat> throughout that sort of Anna Share uh, theatre school link that Thames seemed to have throughout the seventies and. And of course, her later work, you know, like you say, comedy. And then right in the middle of it, there's this absolutely bang on, really tragic teenager that yeah. she plays very well. It, it is. It's an astonishing, it is an astonishing yeah. performance. And, you know, she gets the flirty side and all that yeah. kind of thing. And uh, yeah, and obviously, it is, again, another, another tragic story plays itself out. So before we get into episode one, a few other things I wanted to mm. say. Um, okay. No, actually, nothing. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, no, it was also broadcast as many other names in different countries, and I just thought this was fun. It was also known as Belfast Assassin mm. in Canada, mm. both as Chasing and Retaliation in Finland. I don't know why it mm. had two names. Um, the Belfast mm. Killer in France, where it was Latour de Belfast, 
and the deadly stalemate in Germany where it is. That's Dudley's part. <laughs> so, my my main uh, observation really is that, uh, like they had in Sandbaggers, uh, Yorkshire seemed to decide that Leeds look, could look like anywhere, and uh, filming in Leeds was <laughs> was uh, obviously practical. You couldn't have filmed this on the streets of actual Belfast at the time. It just wouldn't have. It wouldn't have held off. So they, they basically went into a, a soon-to-be-demolished uh, housing estate. Yeah. And, uh, God, it's grim. Oh. But yeah. the interesting thing is there's a big car chase later yeah. on, and I'm assuming that's shot around the streets of Leeds, not around the streets of Belfast. But uh, but it's, uh, it is it is kind of... Uh, you start to wonder whether the, you know, the road uh, furniture, the, the signage is quite accurate. I mean, there's a wonderful thing... I don't know if you remember if you noticed there's a big scene in a scrapyard and there's a, and they've got this but right in the middle of all the scrap there's this massive British rail uh, container and I just kind of wondered yeah I'm sat, again because I worry about strange details like that I'm thinking would that have been something that would you know the British rail logo on oh, the side yes, of the that's going to give us away that it's not Northern Ireland well I I did wonder I I don't know I couldn't yeah I mean, obviously, because British Rail, you know, it still would have functioned, you know, sea link ferries. Yeah, but I think in Northern Ireland they had their own system that wasn't called British Rail. Mm. Yeah. Um, I've got some quotes from Lawrence Gordon-Clark about the filming. Okay. Um, We filmed the riots and most of the street scenes in Leeds. Some local councillors were concerned that we were giving the place a bad name and a radio reporter turned up to question me. But I made my replies even more rambling and contradictory than they usually were, so they didn't use them. (laughs) I taught him everything he knows. (laughs) When the Leeds filming was finished, we went to Belfast for three weeks to finish there. It was a volunteer crew for obvious reasons. I don't know why that was for obvious reasons. Oh, I suppose that means because they thought they were going to get shot. Okay. And we went with some natural trepidation. But I find one has a totally fallacious sense of invulnerability when behind the camera. We were filming in the Falls Road, with Harry using some of the more spectacular Provo graffiti as a backdrop, when when a section of real Geordie soldiers came around the corner... An understandably unfriendly Lance Corporal asked me what the fuck I thought I was doing there. I fumbled for my ID, which is fortunately in my top po- top pocket, and said we were from ITV and we're making a bit of dra- bit of a drama. Mm. And he said, "There's no fucking drama around here without you lot adding to the mix." Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, I forget your Geordie roots. <laughs> <laughs> Which I kind of can just imagine this Geordie being like, oh, fucking filmmakers, are you safe for real? It's actually mm. happening around us. Mm. So as you say, yes, that just backed up your theory that it's probably a good idea that they didn't film it there yeah. at the time. It was a bloody dangerous place. I mean, that's oh, the yeah. thing. That's the uh, thing. And, and obviously part of the uh, the way the, the story unfolds proves that strangers were uh, viewed with suspicion. So even even, you know... Namby Pamby filmmakers would probably have been filmed with suspicion. Strangely enough, though, Ray Lonnan uh, in that interview talks about how his first job was in a, in a in an you know in a theatre in Ireland, and he was very welcomed, and everybody was lovely. So, hmm. go figure. Was that Ireland or Northern Ireland? That's an important Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Okay. Yeah. I think it was so Belfast. Should we, Belfast should we get into episode one? Episode one. Yes. So we start with that really good set piece that really drew me in of him walking, Charlie Fairhead, we shouldn't keep calling him that, Billy Downs walking towards his target, um, the MP Danby, 
who I was really confused who he was, and I, I thought I know him, and it's he's from Blake Seven, isn't he? Robert Morris from the episode Traitor. Um, but yeah, I thought that first scene was was compelling and well shot. It's slightly over over dramatized the way that the couple were holding their hands out to each other. I think while while he was dying, but well, they were having a. I mean, up to that point, it's it's wonderfully intercut between the journey of the assassin, yeah, and family life. You know, I should say a, a, a normal Tory morning. <laughs> A normal, a normal, morning. A normal yeah. morning in a in a in a Tory uh, Tory uh, MP's house where yes. the children get sent off to private school and then get picked up and all. Oh yeah, all all lovely, lovely Tory morning uh, ruined by IRA assassin on the front doorstep. Yeah, it's a hard, it's hard not to be in a bit a bit in his favour, isn't it? <laughs> it's it, well, I mean, you know, I mean, you I would say that that in, again in terms of 1982 television, it actually would have seemed quite horrific. It, it wasn't. They didn't. It was a bit no holds barred, really. Like you say, there was a little bit of melodrama in there just to yeah. to make. But I think that's so you you as a, as a viewer, you're supposed to feel even more sympathy. You are basically supposed to think this thing was a terrible thing, a, yeah. and a wrong thing. You're supposed to be so shocked by it that over the course of the next three episodes, you're you're absolutely you know out to get um, Billy down. Yeah. yeah. I would also like to say that it's very good that the house that they chose in the interior are spotless and very modern and clean and very expensive because that's a really nice contrast with, the, as you say, the grubbiness of the Belfast houses. And later on in episode three, when they when they tear, tear through Billy's house mm. and I was like, oh, they, they tore it up something bad, Billy, and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, mm. well, you wouldn't notice that could, house could have been burgled 300 times and it would just look dreadful. The mm. poverty of those houses was just oh, yeah. just it's sometimes when people talk about the seventies and, and early eighties being you know a really good time. I think they forget mm. how dreadful the, yeah. the the standard of living was for most mm. people. Yeah, I mean, I I I I did make make a note for episode three, which basically says the evil that goes on in front of crap wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awful. Anyway, um, back to episode one. Now the episode, uh, I also quite, I did like the the choices they made about having the voiceover. Oh, so good! The escape, you know. So good. So we have the IRA commandant who is saying there's a voiceover of him of him giving Billy all the advice of what he should do at every stage, and that's played mm. over. It's so, it's such a clever device, and mm. yeah, I was surprised by by that bold choice, but it works so well. They might have got round to staking the end of the line, and it'll be a raincoat thereafter. Ditch it, and ditch the AK in the gents' toilet on the platform. Wipe it, Billy. Wipe it hard. The serial number's gone. Just get rid of it. That's the beauty of it, really. You, you actually get, in drama, you don't have to necessarily show everything. Hmm. But it, it just explains... That how he got out with all the the net that had been put up to catch him, and and how you would do. I mean, in many ways, it was a bit of a guidebook. I'm sure there were a lot of people quite offended at the time, I going, did, "Oh, I so know. if I wanted to shoot somebody in London but get away with it, I'd go via Amsterdam." Yeah, I mean, exactly. Do you remember the Amsterdam bags, the Amsterdam uh, what do you call it, duty free bags? Because they were everywhere in, in the seventies. What the sheep ones? Yeah. Those those big yellow bags that. Yeah. That, that were again wonderful um, in term just in terms of uh, shorthand, you know. Yeah. Because obviously it becomes then he has to get rid of it because what you know 
when they work out that he's he's flown in via Amsterdam, it, to him for him to have that bag would have been you know a, a bit like a, yeah. putting a sign up you know, so that, that's thrown away in the in the in the road somewhere in in the south you know. Yeah, indeed. Um, and then we get we get we get the, the 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 usual thing. We get the knobs in power basically wanting you know they they they've got the cabinet outrage and the PM basically you know being an idiot uh, and all the, all the, the 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 power of the state which has been proved quite impotent trying its very level best to um to get some kind of payback if you like yeah and it's a great and fascinating choice though isn't it that they don't have the prime minister cast or appearing mm. he's off screen i assume well, that he. would have been thatcher yes at that time sorry it would have been thatcher in oh i suppose it would have been thatcher of course yes mm. I hadn't thought about that. So, um, yes, the Prime Minister was furious! Um, so maybe they just didn't want anyone trying to pretend to be Thatcher, like Faith Brown or someone like that. But, um, but I did think that their pursuit of wanting this man regardless, mm. because it was politically expedient for them to be able to identify and, and get this man back personally mm. was so important to them. And it didn't matter how they did that or how many casualties there were in the pursuit of that. It, it was more important to, to, to give this message, I guess, than it was mm. than it was really about justice for Danby. It was all about, yeah. you know, we must demonstrate that we will come down hard and fast on. on well, I'm um, trying to remember historically how this fits in, because we had had the assassination of Aaron Neve and Lord Mountbatten yeah. uh, as high-profile figures. Uh, who had been assassinated, and, and I think we're we're still ahead of the Brighton bomb at this stage. Yeah, this is this is very um, this is very sort of strong stuff, and it's something you didn't mess with um, lightly. You know, you didn't sort of play sort of you make it into um, you didn't try you didn't make it into entertainment. You know, this is again the interesting thing about nineteen. This is made in nineteen eighty-two, and yet yeah. it's the turning a a tragic story of Northern Ireland into a three nights of entertainment is is a kind of brave move. Yeah. I think. and I, I was wondering how much of this was a direct um, antecedent of Edge of Darkness because it has a similar sort of feel, and you know, obviously that thing takes things a bit further and actually has some sort of like mysterious elements to it, but. This idea of we can do contemporary, we're going to hit hard and fast, and and you know a sort of mini series approach as well. I thought it was it had definite parallels. But I'm also interested that because you do, they don't hold back on the philosophy of the the terrorists, the IRA, you know the uh, freedom fighters, if you prefer. But you you they don't hold back on their motivations either. You know that this this will hurt them. Yeah. And this is we are seeing their pain, and and every time, every day you get away with it, makes it's more painful for them. Uh, and again, that becomes the motivation later on when they decide to assassinate the uh, special branch officer for the same reason. It it will hurt them. It will hurt them. And that that's an interesting insight. I think that maybe people, you know, sitting in their armchairs in in Leeds or or wherever, you know, in the home counties, watching this might not have. That maybe they didn't want to hear motivation from the other side, but it is a very balanced piece of storytelling. It is actually saying, you know, that both sides had a point of view. I did very much appreciate that. It was well done, Billy. That speech, um, mm. 
and because it did give the IRA side. I don't think it would... I think if it was made today, it would probably give more sympathy to the IRA side. It might be a bit mm. more sympathetic because people weren't having to endure all the murders and all the deaths because mm. it didn't provide the reasons for all the troubles in this drama. Mm. And if you don't know, you mm. don't know all the stuff that, that the Brits did to to stoke this all up, you know. Mm. Um, it's one-sided in that sense. Why are they attacking us? You know, if people don't have that knowledge mm. about how how we got to Northern Ireland and the, the mm. split from Ireland and all of that stuff. and Yeah, it's it's... It's easy to see the commandant guy, the Irish one who's never... I don't think he's named, is he? As just pure evil, when in mm. fact he's he's driven by experience of injustice mm. and presumably deaths of his family along the way. I'm not, I'm not saying mm. I'm, a, I'm an IRA sympathiser in any, in any way, mm. but there's always reasons why people behave like they behave. And mm. I think it gave the most balanced picture it could at the time, mm. but I'm not, I'm not convinced... It is the most balanced picture it could have given. Mm. Welcome home, Billy. And it was well done. It was good. We've hurt them. And there's their pain for us all to see. And we're going to keep you safe, Billy. Because every day they look for you and don't find you, we hurt them some more. On your way, Billy. It was well done. Yes, and I think you're right, actually, that most of them are... um, Anonymous, that's the other interesting aspect of it. Apart from, obviously, we find out Billy Down's name, but you know, yeah. the, a lot of the credits are just Billy's driver, brigade commander. Yeah. You know, they, they're never identified as specific figures, maybe mm-hmm. for legal reasons, or maybe that's just the nature of the original book, you know. But there is a sense that these, you know, these people might well be people who later on, you know, uh, were, were identified. But uh, at the time, that philosophy, it, it's, it, it is kind of an anonymous, but there's an anonymous hatred. And, but again, quite often in the montages, when you see the, the revolving metal gates and the way the soldiers are with the, lo- the, the, the simple day-to-day racism that they show when they're stopping and searching people and, and, the, and the gun towers and everything, you can actually see why there is that bitterness and anger. You can, of course. you can get that, and that again is is not underplayed within within the you know it's not it's not it's not a fluffy it's not a fluffy cozy view of it it it's very much raw it's it's very much intense yeah and it's interesting that Gerald Seymour himself who wrote it said you know that quote I said earlier about how neither side could climb down to to make peace you know mm. and it is an occupied country in effect. It is an occupied country, mm. and it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just a terrible picture of, of everyday life. Mm. Um, on a lighter note, I was astonished in episode one to discover how old Ray Lonnan was meant to be in this. <laughs> <laughs> Bless him. 34? 
Only 34? I think I look younger than him now, and I'm considerably older. (laughs) Gosh, 34. People looked older then, didn't they? They Well, there is a lot of that, yeah. I mean, mean, you only have to think back to the the dramas you've sort of made in the 60s, and, you know, it... it, 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 Someone was saying a few days ago how how they'd seen something uh, Amagre and how young Arthur Lowe looked. Arthur Lowe never looked young, and you, and and I, I was able to find a film he was in ten years earlier than that, and he looked exactly the same. <laughs> you know, uh, that yes. sometimes it's just about style and clothing and everything like that. But uh, yeah, I, I there's there's a kind of interesting thing about people like James Bond, all these characters. Uh, you know how actually most of them are in the twenties and thirties. Yeah. You know because when you when you are a rattled old pushing sixty year old like I am, you know you start to think how do they know anything in their thirties? But they obviously you know a lot of what we have what the the world that's being run now is being run by people who are you know two thirds half my age. You know. But does, just... does Bond actually know much? Isn't he just good at, at fighting and stuff? Isn't he given all the information he needs or not? Or is that an unfair assessment? I don't know. I think you forget sometimes how, uh, how when people join up, they're sometimes only sixteen. Mm. So actually, by the time they're thirty-two, that half their life has yeah. been that uh, experienced that but sort although, of training. Although, as I said earlier, I don't think Harry's any good at deep cover. So we'll come back to that. <laughs> well, we, we're at about this point in the narrative. We are introduced to Harry, yes. and, and he flies in with his with his hat on, and uh, and he's greeted at an airport, and yeah. It's interesting when they talk about his background because they do say he's had a nervous breakdown from his from a previous job. Yeah. And and they also mention he has a wife. Yes. Both of which uh never really come up again. Uh-huh. I mean maybe the nervous breakdown explains a lot of what you were um yes. Uh, uh, my my uh, my judgment on him, yeah. But, but, uh, he gets a lot of um briefing which basically says that he's it's a danger, it's a high risk uh mission. And and he just ends by saying, "I said yes, I'll do it." So you actually wonder whether he ha- he actually even at that point has a self-destructive streak. Yes, like. I don't think he wants to come back, and either that's because he doesn't get on with his wife, or he's so depressed because of all the all the experiences he's carrying with him and his nervous mm-hmm. breakdown. But certainly, yeah, he's he's not trying mm-hmm. to save himself, and I think that mm-hmm. he hasn't got a survivalist streak, and I think that's that's interesting, and I wish that. I, I just think it all hangs on the fact that, you know, will he get out? And he's like, well, he doesn't want mm. to. So that kind mm. of robs the drama, I think, a little. But it, it's interesting to me what you said earlier about it being tight and being very modern. But actually, this is another one of those dramas where I just felt a little bit more. Maybe a fourth episode might have actually given it more green space stuff happens very quickly and i think the tension builds i mean okay hitchcock would say you could do tension in two hours you know so but the tension builds across that that you feel in that third episode when they're coming for him uh you could have built a lot more by making it more gradual you know a little bit more running time might have actually helped with that because it's very much the the, like like i said before the three-act play but somehow the the training aspect of it seems very rushed in many ways you you do feel that 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 sequence where he's he's he seems to be learning how to speak irish from um what's his name jimmy ellis 
I don't know. Jimmy Ellis isn't credited, but the 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 tapes he's listening to sound. I thought I'm sure that's Jimmy Ellis. But, but he's just he's reminding himself more though, isn't he? Because he actually yeah. was from Portadown. Yeah, from Portadown. Yeah. Yes. So um, one line that Benjamin Whitrow keeps saying, and it's repeated in several episodes. They torture them, they hood them, and they shoot them. About how the provos deal with mm. with um, traitors or yes, you know, touts. Touts, yeah. Um, mm. I, so you you immediately think, well, this is um, Chekhov's method. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, I was always surprised that this didn't happen to Harry <laughs> mm. <laughs> because they said it so many times. It's. It felt... I think it's the threat of it, though. That's the thing. It's yeah, the threat it, of it, it is hanging felt over. It's inevitable to me that that's the way he would go. So I was quite surprised mm. that didn't happen. And it also justifies how frightened uh, Linda Robson's character is as well. Yes, it, it, it absolutely it, does. It it sort of is. It it's more how terrified they're more terrified of of being caught than than actually you know than than, than all the, the, what they can do to them than than what they can do to themselves if you like. What other notes have you got for episode one? My my notes well, for episode one are more limited just because I was in the bath when I watched it. Oh, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in that first episode because obviously uh, Harry does eventually go over there and he is stopped and searched at a checkpoint and you know and the soldiers are you know fundamentally unpleasant to him. There is a line about from um, uh, from uh, about Jeffrey Chater. I mean Jeffrey Chater comes in as uh, I'd forgotten Jeffrey Chater was in this. I'm so used to seeing him in Callan and things, but mm. but but also he'd become the sort of blimp character that or the or the the authority figure that I'd actually forgotten that he's in this and he's he's very good in it, you know. For, and but there's a little bit of foretelling when they sort of say I don't want to pick his body out of the gutter and you think well that's exactly what happens. Yeah. The poem that get used at the end of the third episode also gets used uh, across one of the montages in the in the uh, in the in the first episode, so that gets a kind of repeat. There's not a yard of the falls, Harry, that doesn't have a drop of history. Where we shot one of theirs, where they chopped one of ours. Even the little innocent places have a scrap of history. Obviously, the RVH, the hospital, there's a convent school. They shot their first magistrate there, dropping his girls for school. Even a convent, even schoolgirls don't escape history in the falls. One of those girls wrote a poem. I've never forgotten reading it. Don't cry, Mummy said. They're not real, but Daddy was, and he's not here. Don't be bitter, Mummy said. They've hurt themselves much more, but they can walk and run. Daddy can't. Forgive them and forget, Mummy said. But can Daddy know I do? Smile for Daddy. Kiss him well, Mummy said. But can I ever? That was after the death of a 46-year-old British magistrate um, shot by, shot dead by the IRA on 25th of January 73. It was called William J. Staunton, mm. and it was near St. Dominic's School on the Falls Road. So, And that was the, a poem written by his, by his daughter. So mm. that was, you know, a, it was a real poem. It wasn't constructed for this drama, is all I was going to mm. say. Yeah. Mm. And we also, you know, we also get... In in that montage of, of Belfast life, you get uh, little bits of gossip. You know, oh, his voice was all over the place, all that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, which is the stuff that basically brings you down. It gets people, it pricks up people's ears because you know the son of the neighbour is a an IRA. Um, and it took me ages to work out who he was. Ah, oh. okay. You know who he was? Go, go on. He was Jim McDonald from Coronation Street. <laughs> 
he was so young and he didn't have a tash. It took me ages to work out that's who it was. <laughs> Seamus was his character's name, yeah. But of course, uh, and in the process of everyday life, we see, we see uh, a soldier actually shot in uh, by Billy Downs and yeah. another soldier, and mm-hmm. of course, and and the gun itself is 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 slipped away by being slipped into a baby carriage, which of course makes you think of the bomb in the baby carriage and the wire to the radio and all that kind of thing. But it's it it fascinates me that this this machinery is in place and to this, and the simplicity help. of all of the public. Mm. Yeah. To, to the situation, what they have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea that the IRA keep him busy with another job, so he's not sat there thinking about what's happened or mm-hmm. putting himself in any danger or anything. They're, mm-hmm. they're putting him right back at the front. Well, again, that plays on the whole theme that the time will come when you will tell someone. Yeah. And, of course, that would be the same on both sides. Mm-hmm. He, at some point, Billy Downs is going to let him you know let slip and so keeping him busy yeah by giving him other things to do if you like is is part of that process what's fascinating towards the end of the episode is is it is it what's his name josh <laughs> from casualty oh i don't know about that it's the waiter the waiter who uh, overhears oh, Sean Jeff Caffrey, yeah and and this is how the entire um again and the whole thing unravels because Jeffrey Chater can't keep his gob shut yeah. in a public place. Yes, I know. Ridiculous. Oh, also, quick shout out for Lizzie Mickery, who turns mm-hmm. up as a nosy neighbour in this episode. Um, Maggie from Tenko, yeah, she's in it briefly. Um, we should also mention Maggie Shevlin, who plays Mrs Downs, who's mm. very good at long-suffering and care-worn and all those mm. things. Um, and indeed plays a, a much bigger part in the third episode. Yeah. And also... Yeah. Josephine Laverty's character, Jill Braley, who we get a really good flavour of the regular Northern Ireland life and the troubles through mm. her discussion and description of her life. Mm. And I think that is something that, that helps with the colour and the balance of it. When I said little be with a fellow who's more future than a tenor in the cash, I'm not one of those little bitches with hot necks that runs after the cowboys. So what's on offer in the evenings? We have the Keelers. Not as good as in the free state. There's dancing, bit of a band, a singer in a bar. Our own hit parade. Men behind the wire. Bloody Sunday, Pro V Birdie. The army come lumping in, the bastards, but they don't stay long. Bloody army always come busting in. Most times. I think they'll find the big boys. <laughs> Usually they walk right past them. <laughs> I'd like to come along, so what? Try Saturday. Our Doyne Community Club. It's across town. I'll take you. Yeah, I'd like that. But she's not an actress I've ever seen before. And mm. indeed, on the Wikipedia listing of the cast, she's not in there. And I'm thinking, well, she's quite a key character, actually. So I thought that was odd. Mm. Well, again, the, the choices, even on, on the, like I say, on the DVD cover, or the, of who, who was the important figure, because, like I say, Benjamin Whitrow, yeah. for me, was, was a key. Basically, his conscience as being uh, Harry's handler, yeah. and, and how he seems to be the only one who mourns or is upset or gives a damn. Although, yes, but I would say that as a seasoned, experienced handler, I feel he's presenters a bit too emotionally involved for someone he doesn't really know and I find his behaviour a bit too emotional and maybe he just 
heading for a breakdown as well. But he's like even upset about Linda Robson's character dying. And I just found that was, he's like, oh, it's terrible. I'm thinking he would be way more cold about these things than he was. Mind you, he's got an oppo who's even more optimistic. (laughs) Oh, his oppo is weird. There's something weird going on there. His underling. I actually thought it was a gay relationship at one point. (laughs) It was so weird, especially when he woke up and we didn't have a top on. I was like, what's going on here? The, ca- the camp bed that's set up in the a- in, <laughs> in the HQ. It was a whole I didn't see going on. It's a, but he, it's a, he was, oh, you'll be fine. He'll, you'll be back and having a cup of tea with him before you know very, it, sir. To use a word, he was very fruity with him, I felt, this other guy. I thought it was most odd. I didn't quite understand whether there was meant to be a subtext or not. I don't know. Uh, maybe it was maybe it was uh, Captain Darling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Anyway, um, either be gay or not, but it's just... <laughs> Don't be weird, hinterland, gay-baiting character. Anyway. Yeah, 1982. Yes. Episode two. Episode two. Uh, again, this is uh, this is the scene. This is the which shows you ordinary everyday life and and Harry sort of not very trying very hard to find out who <laughs> or who did it. Really, it's kind of he's he's infiltrating himself into the community. He go. I mean, again, they go to this god awful night out at this dance at the uh, at the at the club. Yes. Uh, where, of course, a lot of gossip and a lot of uh, a lot of the plot points uh, sort of come together because Linda Robson's character is there uh, and Charlie Fairhead is there. Like, I'm not calling him him that. Billy Downs is there. Billy no, Downs and his wife think, are there. Didn't you think this is a bit of a contrivance? So there's these these there'll be these working men's clubs all over Ireland, Northern Ireland, for them to end up in the same room. For all three of the principal characters to end up in the same room, and yeah. even. He looks straight at Billy Downs, dangerously mm. eyeballs him. Even if he's mm. not Billy Downs, it's still a really dangerous thing to eyeball this guy and keep, keep staring at him. Mm. It was so weird for a man who was meant to be in deep cover. I was like, Harry, I didn't think, I wrote down Harry's not up to much as a deep cover agent. <laughs> it was very odd. Well, maybe everybody else said, I'm not doing that, mate. <laughs> it was so weird. But the weirdest thing about the whole sequence is, so the, the police, the, well, the, the army arrive rather, and mm. they cart some of them off. Including mm. Billy, but they don't cut off. Um, they don't cut off Harry because mm. it turns out that one of them recognizes him and he gives him tips in the wink or nods or whatever, mm. so it doesn't happen. I was confused by that to begin with. But um, the, the most hilarious thing about this entire sequence is that after all these people are carted off, and basically there's only a few women left, and then the Kaylee band start dancing, singing, and <laughs> singing and mm. playing again as if nothing's happened. They're the most insensitive. That'd be an act of, act of defiance. I mean, an act of defiance. It just seems but so insensitive. It just seemed wrong I, to me. I didn't I, buy I it. I think the, the thing that seemed wronger, though... I wronger? Is, is you even wronger. That, that, that this kind of thing would have gone on every Saturday night across Belfast. The army felt that they yeah. could just raid any kind of event like that and do this kind of thing. The actual... The actions that were being seen, I'm assuming these were from, you know, real experience because it was it was downright. You just think, oh, you know, there's a few people having a few beers, you know, having a bit of a dance and in come the army. And you just 
that was day-to-day life. It's it's a terrible thing, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And they're, they're not too disturbed by it. it there, there's an element where it's played where this is kind of normal, which is mm. clever and, and good colour. The jury I also wanted to mention earlier in the episode that there's a, there's a line from one of the Whitehall peoples, we, we win, vi- win victory and avoid defeat. We must accept the possibility of casualties. You know, they're not interested how many people die in order for also, this to be achieved. They don't care, and this, well, this, the London scenes generally tell you that they don't care who pays the price for it. No, time. exactly. You know, this is, this is part and parcel of, again, the game, I suppose. I mean, yeah. I mean, Harry refers to it as the game towards the end of this episode. Um, but yeah, I, I, Billy basically is taken in by the uh, army intelligence, <laughs> who don't, who show uh, <clears throat> that uh, it is indeed a, an oxymoron. You know, yes, um, exactly. Uh, which you know, and again, and the, the plot could finish there. I mean, that's the thing. That, that yeah. If they'd actually d- done their jobs, they could have they could have actually worked it out. But because he was he had a clean background, you know, uh, Harry gets a bit of a shag, which is you know probably. Uh, I don't know. Why do you why do you reckon that you need a sex scene in something like this? I think I think actually this is in keeping with the uh, with the story. I don't think it's um, unnecessary at all because it's so that he can prove to Josephine in the plot that he is therefore not the big boy because the big boy, i.e., the one who killed the politician, Billy Downs, couldn't get it up for Linda Robson. So it's actually quite a crucial scene that he can get it up because he's obviously not worried or concerned. So the fact that he does shag her is, is a clue to her that he's not the guy. But also it makes it clear that Teresa has been with the guy who, you know, the actual guy. So it's actually mm. a really important scene because mm. it's it's where we realise that Teresa is the link to, to the, she realises that Teresa is the link to Downs. But pillow pillow talk costs lives, doesn't it? Because what gets me is that when the um, when the uh, special branch do pull in the the lads who are at the you know the um, the, the uh, club, it's actually the, she is given away by somebody else. But the assumption is because she mentioned in the pillow talk sequence this particular name, and Teresa is then rounded up. That that was a direct line, but actually, her name is given to the, spe- the the special forces by a third party. If you see what I mean, yeah. So actually, all the stuff that comes from, you know, oh, you you, know, I told you and you told them, which he did, but it didn't actually come from them. It came from other sources, and of course, the wonderful media, are just helping everybody out again in these. By, but then again, you know. It's kind of the way these stories have to unfold, I suppose. Yeah. I think I, I just want to make reference to my favourite phrase from Northern Ireland, which is, catch yourself on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which he says to his wife, doesn't he? Billy says it to his wife when his wife's accusing him of having slept with Teresa. Catch yourself on mm. there. Yes, like that one. I might use that. Not in Northern <laughs> Ireland, though. Um, oh, yeah, and he gets that line, your show is never done. So, you know, he's never going to escape from the IRA. He's ne- his 
his destiny is to die for the IRA. Now he's part of mm. the Provos, and that's just the situation in which he accepts, mm. um, or he's come to accept. And mm. she's quite she's presented as naive for not thinking this, mm. but that's naivety that you know due to her love, you know, of him. Mm. She clearly does love him, and and obviously she's, they've got lots of children. You gonna go on with it? You know I'm gonna go on with it. You're sure. You're sure it's never done. Never finished. Rio Fanning. I've written down. Rio Fanning. Okay. Do you know who Rio Fanning is? Go on. Well, he's he's in Doctor Who several times, isn't he? He's in Horror of Fang Rock. And he's the scrapyard guy. Right. Yes. I knew I recognised him and I did a little check. And of course, he was in mm. Doctor Who. Usually he is when someone I've ever noticed. Um... Yes. So yeah, Harry gets a job, doesn't he? That's the thing. He gets a job at a scrapyard. Yeah. Which again, it, it, there's there's not any real need for that apart from it. When later on they they're searching for him, they know he works at a scrapyard, but they do. You don't see scrapyards anymore, do you? Have you yeah. noticed that? Yeah. I remember being very aware of, of scrapyards when I was young. Because <laughs> yes. I bought I bought rubbish cars and I needed young bits. Young Martin for Holmes, very aware of scrapyards. <laughs> but you know they were they were just there, and and I'm, I just think now, and that there are very few places really that that you know I mean recycling centres exist. I, I wonder but whether scrapyards are more to do with the fact that they were needed in dramas of the time for people to almost get crushed in in cars, and I think they're very much ah well. Yeah. They're very it's much funny, I watched an episode of, of Return of the Saint where that very thing happened, and indeed, uh, indeed, one of the um, the Sweeney movies also a, a, a big sort of shootout scene happens in. So yeah, you may have a point. Yes, it, <laughs> scrapyards exist. If we didn't have scrapyards, we'd have to invent them. Yes, exactly <laughs> for the purpose of drama. I'm glad we agree on that. And um, I just wonder where the cars go now. That's the thing that they, they just had me thinking. You know, where where do all the because they used to be yeah, wherever you're you dead went, right from train windows. I remember seeing a lot more scrapyards in the past than I do now. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. I did like the line from the brigade commander, the Provo guy. Um, a stranger will stand out like a bloody statue. I like that. I like the mm. sort of like the. Oh, they're very poetic. Yes, very, it, very. The, the language is is very poetic, which of yeah. course is is accurate. Yeah. Yes. Um. And then, oh, this is what. By this point, I'm just getting quite annoyed with Harry because Davidson's on the phone mm. saying, "Try to get out while you can," and like he's mm. like, "Nah, I'm staying here. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I've got a job to do." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm shagging this this last. Josephine mm. Lafferty. Um. So he goes towards the end of episode two. He goes up this hill, looking over Belfast yes. with Josephine, mm. and she's already starting to suspect things. And then he just mm. completely reveals himself to her again. Mm. Really bad deep cover, but it's like mm. when he was. But that again is that that's part of the foretelling in part one, isn't it? You know, the, the time will come when you want to tell someone. But yes. it's, it's like he immediately just goes. Blah 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 blah. But I thought I was hoping what would happen. Uh, maybe I, this just makes me a grim person is when he was mm. flexing his glove when he was mm. talking to her I was thinking he's going to strangle her here and now and bury her body I really ah. thought that's what he should do and if he was a proper hard bitten agent he would have murdered her there and then but he doesn't <laughs> and the fact that they came down the hill together I was like what's this mm. that's just so dangerous that you know mm. you're just not oh. and I know they're meant to have a connection but he's, they've just mm. had one date went to a bad mm. Kaylee and then had a shag I mean, 
it's just a bit odd. Maybe that's a long-term relationship in, 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 in that part of the world at that time in history. I did like a line about how putting you and the medal you're after in the same box. I thought that was a good mm. line from her. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's it was all a bit odd that he just let that massive loose end just there. Mm. It's He doesn't want to get out of this. And I thought, well, mm. Harry doesn't play this game very well at all. Get out, Harry. Before they put whatever medal you're after in the box with you. Get out. While you can. A bit of a flashback at the top of part three as well, which I think puts an, an extra bit into that scene. But it's it's it doesn't it doesn't make any more sense. Yeah, it, I think it I think it might just be a different take of the same scene, just to give it a you know because all the words were in it or something like that yeah. as, a, as a one-off piece. But uh, but I mean you know from part three opening that when he retrieves his gun from under the floorboards that this is going to be a violent one you know yeah. this is going to end up part three is basically going to be where all the chickens come home to roost it's going it's going to be a bloodbath basically yeah but um but it should be i think that I, I think the tension builds well and i think the tension builds well throughout the episode and i also think that part of that is helped because you get a lot of uh, you see a lot of the incompetence of his handlers and and the other army faction because the the intelligence services in London haven't told the local army services enough about what's going on, and there are then squaddies who are not really doing their job properly and just looking out of windows at, at women basically instead of actually doing what they're supposed to do. You know, it's the watching, and all these factions come together for a massive massive round of incompetence which basically dooms the entire, the entire and i think project. i like the realism of that and yes the actual game as i've said already is the game between whitehall and the the army in northern ireland and it's about who owns who owns this situation and who owns the killing of billy downs and the fact that that's what they're squabbling over is is key and that seals harry's fate i guess but but i also think that what unfortunately robs it for me is that i think harry seals his own fate by sticking around i just don't get it especially after he's mm. let josephine wander around with this knowledge which is mm. is really insensitive and dangerous for her he's not thought about her mm. welfare because mm. you know they're going to get to her and you know i think mm. if all she gets out of this is as a collaborator haircut she's done pretty well is the implication is that it's just her hair that's cut, isn't it? She doesn't die. I well, no. I th I this is the thing. I I have written it down here. Do they kill her? I mean, the men come to the, her mother's yeah. house, and they go upstairs. But there is a, a, a sort of terrible scream before they come downstairs. Yeah, and and we don't see her again in in the story. But there's no reference to a woman was killed in no. know, blah blah blah. So I, but I, my assumption is that they do actually kill. Oh, her, really? But, but um, because of, you know, of, of her liaison. But she, she basically does immediately tell them everything, you know, that he. But but then again, at that stage, I don't actually think that even if she'd not been told anything, I think they would have still done that because she'd been seen with him, and that, that would have been enough. Really. Yeah, but that's why he should have told her to get out. Yes, yeah. but but again and again the, the 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 difficulty is that there are these 
he gives his handler these three things you know get this person out get him out and get this person gives the information and none of those things are possible because there aren't enough dots yeah to join yeah. now what's the priority you've got three priorities today colonel identify a man who was at that dance accompanied by a woman in a yellow trouser suit and pick him up right Put in protective custody a girl called Josephine Laverty from Clonard. Right? Locate Harry McAvoy. Well, turn over every scrapyard tomorrow morning. Well, I know it's Sunday. Look, just do what you can, will you, Colonel Frost? I'll have a photograph of Harry with you by this afternoon. Yes, I'm sorry. I know, I know you'll do what you can. It's just a bastard, isn't it? I did, I did like the fact that when Geoffrey Chater... He's, he's trying to get hold of him, and, and someone says the last thing. I'm sure he says, Frost on a Sunday, and I did like, oh, Frost on a Sunday. <laughs> Wasn't that a thing we all watched for too many years? Yeah. But there we are. But I, just... I did like the dialogue that Jim McDonald had, um, Seamus, when he's he's talking to the other friend, um, the other person mm. in the IRA, about... Um, he's obviously letting slip that he's scared about what they've got to go and do now and kill Harry. Oh, yeah, and he's, when they're walking down yeah, the street. And, saying, and he's just, Will he yeah. scream under torture? He's really nervous about the yeah. details of what will actually happen. Mm. And I thought that was really good, really mm. good piece of um, dialogue mm. to get under the skin of these people who aren't just, like, happily torturing people. They're actually, oh, actually, will he mm. scream? I'm a bit worried about this. You know, I thought that was really, really mm. well done. There's also... Uh, at this stage, um, we get uh, another of Billy Downs' awful top coats, which I do. The, the awful top coats of Billy Downs in this are are are, are, are worthy of mention on their own. <laughs> yeah, he just this you know, dreadful blue, uh, coats we used to wear in the eighties. Not me, sir. Oh, awful, awful thing. Oh, you did everything. <laughs> you did. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we have we may we may have thought they were cool then, but God, they look ridiculous. I, I was out of my because I was out of my time. I knew that what I was wearing wasn't cool, even if I was forced to wear it. Um, but they had to do another hit. But anyway, Billy gets to do another hit, which is yeah, Rennie. Um, yes. to, to to get Rennie. Yes, who is the? Funnily enough, he's the hero. He features in several of the books. Apparently, yes, he does. Inspector Rennie. Yeah. So he's the only running character that that, that goes across. The, across the book so we know he's probably fine but uh, basically uh, he breaks into Rennie's wife and uh, the house where Rennie's wife and children are yeah. uh, and and this is all played out again there's this this thing about Irish television but there's there's a choir on on the television honestly it's bloody songs of praise but it goes on forever and in fact they cut yeah. away to another scene that takes quite a long time and they come back and it's the same song and I thought that's bad <laughs> it's like that song that hymn's not that long <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, oh God, television in Southern Ireland certainly was always a bit. Well, it still is a bit more churchy. I bet it yeah, is, yeah, yeah. But um, mm. I quite like the fact that Rennie immediately realises that there's something wrong because the garage lights not on, which is their system. Mm. So I was quite surprised that they were able to defeat Downs, and he was able to, mm. you know, prevent the assassination. Mm. And it's all because of this child got in the way. So the point is that you know. I guess this gives us some sympathy for Billy because he's not going to kill a kid. Mm. Basically, what he's saying is, yeah, if, if you want to get away with it, shoot the kid. Yeah. You're a rat. A creeping, disease-ridden little rat. <laughs> is that what your great movement's about? Killing people in their homes? I'll not tell you again, Mrs.
me! No, get out of the way! And later on, his his handler is like, well, I'm not going to say you're soft, but you should have, you could have shot through the girl and killed him, you know. Mm. So mm. he's a he's a hard bastard. He really is the mm. the, the the brigade commander. But mm. um, but then again, the people who are giving out commands are always they're not there at the moment yeah. and in in the moment, you know, could any of us, you know, it's an interesting uh, philosophical point, yeah. really, isn't it? I suppose as much as anything. Uh, I love, I love, I love the way they say. Well, it's a London job. That's why they made such a cock of it. <laughs> yeah. so, so then they t- tear apart the hovel that is Billy Downs's home. I mean, mm-hmm. it's awful. But then I think, if I think back to where I lived in 1978, a bit earlier, and it was like, I've seen pictures of it looking back, and it's so brown and so drab and so terrible ornaments, terrible pictures, and you think it really was like that. We forget how how dirty things were and how rising damp was much more of a real thing and how terrible wallpaper and it's just i remember i watched uh it must be about after it been on about 20 years they put some early eastenders on in the day yeah i don't know if you remember them doing that and i remember seeing the first the, the, the one afternoon i sort of came in and the eastenders were on and it was from that first couple of years and everything just looked brown yeah. And I just looked at this and thought, gosh, because even I, who hadn't watched EastEnders, knew it was a lot, because I'd seen possibly the Doctor Who, uh, you know, the monsters and all that kind of thing. But it was all bright and colourful. And even when you see the trailers, apart from, you know, the the, the obviously grimness of those trailers, but but what the actual place itself always looks bright and there's lots of plants and very cheerful. But you see early EastEnders, everything is just beige and, and, and this is and this is 1985 filthy. 86 when it started mm. so i think mm. we forget how bad the 80s was as well in terms of home decor in terms of poverty that people mm. lived in it's only really the 90s that it really mm. properly started to change and i think we we're mm. we're prone to forget that there mm. said it i think it's important um i've written in my notes here why is harry still there i've stopped under <laughs> i've stopped understanding this now <laughs> Well, this basically is now the trap. Yeah. This is the vice closing. Everything from this point on, after the uh, the attempted shooting at Rennie's house, is all about catching Billy. But also, it's about how the people hunting for Harry are getting closer and closer and closer and closer. Uh, I, I, there's a lovely—I say lovely—it's it's it's horrific. But these two guys walking down the street, nostalgically talking about the people they've killed. Yeah. You know, oh, shot him in the head. Oh, he pissed himself. All that stuff. Yeah. You know, you just think. I mean, it's kind of again, it's kind of brutal. It's kind of honest. It's kind of terrifying. But you kind of think, yeah, yeah there's there's some really clever writing going on in there because all of that is telling you what we think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. This is what we think at that point in the story is how this is going to unfold. They're going to get him mm-hmm. and, and put the hood and you'll get the interrogation and it'll all be terrible, but some some reason the army will come in and hurrah and everything like that. Um, wonderful jubilation uh, from Benjamin Whitrow because, you know, we've he's got a name and it's all down to Harry, you know. Hurrah! You I know. felt that was... Again, get out yeah, then, no, man. I felt get it was out. overplayed, his reaction. I was like, I, I actually just jumped, jolted myself when he reacted so strongly. I'm mm. like... Oh my god, he's massively mm. invested in this situation, and Harry, and 
And as I, as I said, I like this drama, but I just didn't buy the level of jubilation there. Yeah, but again, that's where the you know the air punch comes in when people think they've won something. Mm-hmm. They they don't necessarily the logic of it. They will overreact. Yeah, maybe. I think that's that's it's just what people kind of do, okay. isn't it? Because they just they think you think I've got yeah. You know, even even when they've you know they've got the job. They just go, they sort of do the little dance or, or whatever, because we we forget, we in that moment, we just have that moment of victory and we forget, oh, but all this other crap. Yeah. So so after he's attacked in the street, or at least he's he's been seen in the street, I couldn't believe that Harry started shouting and talking in plummy English. I mean, mm. at this point, he's not going to get out of this situation just because of the complicity of the locals. I mean, the way they all were whistling yeah. when they went to pick up Teresa, you know, the things they will do oh, yeah. to close ranks and to come together as a community. Mm. So him shouting and talking mm. in English again felt like, why are you doing that unless you've got a death wish? It seemed very odd to well, me. Well, he's, he's, he's now moving in for the arrest, isn't he? What yeah, he considers but the arrest. he's this, in the middle of Belfast on his own. It's just so mm. weird. Yeah. Come out! Your hands above your heads. Any attempt to run, I'll shoot. But this is now him returning to this is the mission. This is yeah. this is me, Harry the the soldier, not me, Harry the the undercover mm-hmm. operative, I suppose. But it's uh, but it basically plays like we get we get a massive car chase yeah. in a in a Cortina estate and a, and a Ford Escort, which is kind of just very bonkers uh oddly enough the the hard-bitten ira man drops one of his mates off at the hospital well it's because downs is a he good man in the heart it's just in he, a he, bad he, world <laughs> perhaps yeah. but also equally he sacrifices the neighbor's son by basically saying oh you run over there <laughs> you'll be fine and I'll, I'll draw his fire <laughs> and, and, and he basically gets shot by harry you'll the, be right seamus catch yourself kid. on yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yes. You know, which so it's it's kind of on the one level he he, he basically gets his mate completely he uses his mate as a sacrificial lamb, as it were. But his other mate. Oh, do you think that was deliberate? Do you think that was deliberate? I'm not sure it was. I don't think he was sending sons yeah, I, to his death. I think he just literally thought he wouldn't shoot him or something. I don't. Know. I I felt it. It looked like you know. I'm hiding behind this door. I'll send mm. make him run across. I don't know. It, it, it felt a little bit Gosh. Um, self-preservational to me, but you know. right. But uh, but basically, we get this car chase, and and Billy manages to get to his own front doorstep where his wife is, and uh, and the final shootout happens. Yeah, I like the fact that Downs runs down this street. I like the the way that was shot, and then afterwards, how mm. Harry runs after him. I just like the. It, it sort of like showed the dogged determination of Harry regardless to fulfil the job. But also the fact that Downs chose to run home was quite sweet. He knows his life's over really as well. Um, he understands, like Harry, that he has to die. Um, you know, mm. later Harry's line, he had to die, don't you understand that? Um, he understands mm. that, but of course his wife doesn't. So we get this denouement where the soldiers think he's a provo. So they shoot down, they shoot down Downs. <laughs> and you also get uh, that scene with Jeffrey Chater on the phone going, he, he's, your man's making things a bit lively for us. <laughs> which, Life. which is kind of typical. I, I just thought that was a good Jeffrey Chater line, really. But there we are. 
and then it, pl it plays out. It, it's not it's not uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, is it? But it's kind of that kind of vibe. But also, interestingly enough, played out with a with a, a crowd of spectators, mm -hmm. which with, with the people just standing in the street watching this. Yeah, this is everyday life almost, isn't it? I was believing you. Didn't know anything about him. What sort of man he was. He, he came to our street to kill him. He had to die. And you understand that? So we get the wife, who is never named, which I think is unfortunate, finishing mm. off um, Harry, shooting mm. him. And, yeah, don't blame her. But And it's kind of nice that she she's the person who actually finally kills him, although the soldiers, I think, had to do a bloody good job starting mm. that off. But um, I didn't see that as a twist. Um, no. And I didn't see it as a twist that he died. I never believed for one minute he was going to get out of that situation, mm. partly because of the mm. way he was acting, but also because of the way the drama was put together. But I was okay. Well, it was played as a tragedy, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, it was yeah. a three act tragedy. Was, yeah, exactly. Three act tragedy, exactly. And yeah. I'm completely okay with that. I didn't want any other mm. sort of denouement or 11th hour mm. rescue. Mm. But that's partly because I wasn't invested in Harry as a character, though. Mm. But you get all that stuff about it being a test of wills as well. So I think the message is that this this is how these things will play out. Yeah. You know, the, we the government can't be seen to lose, but neither can the 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 opposition, and so these things will always play out as a tragedy. Uh, and we 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 aren't going to find out how the rest of that plays out. We aren't going to find out, you know, uh, whether there's any kind of comeback for her actually shooting him and all that kind of thing because that's not the point of the story the story is over at this point the story is finished and the message yeah. absolutely is the futility of the troubles of of this war mm. of of man fighting revenge man. play yeah, more revenge all and all yeah, this kind of thing like, mm. it just ends in death and the girl's poem again mm. underlines that that it's just about death mm. and there's no mm. value in any of this shit <laughs> but man will no. never learn Mm. Yes. So, I, so I, we haven't really uh, talked at any length about about the Linda Robson scene in the middle. Where, but uh, do you think that's the standout scene for you? Is that what you remember from it? Um, no, it was it was more just the fact that Linda Robson. I never thought she was an actress, mm. or like you know, a proper mm. actress. Um, but she she convinces as Northern Ireland for me I don't have an, I don't know you know how accurate her accent was but I was just very surprised that she mm. she carried it and her mm. death was an important element of it um, but I think no, the standout for me was was just how fast paced it was and how you move from scene to scene very fast it was very modern drama in that sense and also how everything wasn't explained so it wasn't like for an American audience where it's like, oh, and this means this and therefore that. It was very much a few clipped lines. And sometimes because some of those lines were in, in spoken by Northern Irish people, you had to be quite quick mm. to, to pick them up. So I like yes. the fact that, you know, it wasn't dumbing down at all. But I felt the ending was quite predictable. But I still enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was very mm. good and I would recommend it. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, I thought it was a very I, good. I, I watched it last week. Uh, one morning last week in the midst uh, well uh, <laughs> we were in our period of national mourning uh, I think so it was, to cheer myself I up I watched Harry's it game disrespectful <laughs> of you to watch it I hope you were wearing all black clothes otherwise well I watched it funnily enough I watched it twice uh, well no I hadn't watched it I, I watched the first episode a long time ago about two oh, or three yeah. months ago and then when we, when we were planning the ginger tree I think mm. uh, and then um, uh, and then I watched episodes two and three and i thought no, i better watch episode one again and then i ended up watching all three again because i hadn't taken notes the first time through so it was kind of yes so i just watched it to see what happened the first time then i then i watched it for for this the second time but it was well, it wasn't the cheeriest morning <laughs> no it's not meant to be cheery yeah, it did. is it and i think it's, it's no, a good it, it's a good thing to watch something that is not gonna be cheery but it's gonna challenge you and make you think about it's important now. I mean, it should be broadcast now so we remember what's at stake in Northern Ireland mm. and where we've come from because we, we're so, yeah, we're so, we're in a society where the past doesn't seem to matter anymore. Yeah, it was a great source of, um, uh, of material, the Troubles, for, for playwrights back then. And indeed, even modern playwrights still refer to it. You know, it, uh, but you don't. There's not actually a great deal of of mainstream drama that that plays on this. I mean, you get feature films like uh, was it Patrick? Is it Patrick yeah. Games or is it the other? Yeah, it was Patrick Games. Yeah. Or was it Clear and Present? Yeah, it was Patrick yeah. Games. What, yeah, that that sort of play on it, but in a very Hollywood way. Yeah. But but there wasn't much in the way of mainstream. British drama. I mean, basically, if if anything like this played out at all, it was usually they were the there were the villains, and it was something that happened in London, and the police investigated. You know, it, something that actually tried to be a little bit more not balanced isn't the word because it's just a horrible, violent story in that sense. I mean, it's a, it's a very well made horrible, violent story, but it it plays out uh, in in those streets. In in a very in a very good way, it's you know it's in a very in a very. I think yeah, and as I said earlier, I think there's enough there's as much balance as they could have hoped to strike for the time. Mm. Yeah, I mean I I do wonder, you know, whether there were any criticisms at the time, you know, for for showing both points of view because that was always the thing that got certain newspapers riled yeah. up. But I I think generally it was quite well received, and mm. you know, and, and like I say, interestingly enough, now mostly remembered for. A piece of music that doesn't even play that long on the closing credit. I mean, they don't play the full version, mm. so it's only what 30, 40 seconds of um, the tune. Mm. But uh, the torn. And um, talking of talking of tunes, the person who was responsible mm. for the incidental music was Mike Moran, and I thought it's mm. very important to remember Mike Moran for another, another very different thing, which is that he sang with Lindsay DePaul at the Eurovision Song Contest in nineteen seventy eight <laughs> with the song Rock Bottom. Coming second, not coming bottom, coming second. Mm. So um, it, it is interesting because uh, I saw I saw the name uh, Mike Moran. I did I did associate that with with very cheesy pop. So, I'm sorry, but, but I, I hope actually, that's not a critique actually, of Rock Bottom, one of the best UK <laughs> entries of all time. <laughs> anyway. Oh, wow. Tragedies 
Anyway, um, so that was Harry's game. Yes. Mm. Are we done? I, I think we yeah. are, really. I mean, I, I, there's not really much else to say. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I, like I say, Yorkshire Television went on and made lots of other uh, dramas. Yorkshire Television were very much... They had to play second fiddle to you know the the Thames and the Granada, but they 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 whenever they did drama, they did they did make a decent fist of it. I think I, the fact that it was all shot on film is is significant. I think it 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 has that filmic quality. I believe it was repeated in one as an as a, uh, a what do you call it in one. It was repeated you know, as Harry's edited game together. the movie, lasting for one hundred and thirty yeah. minutes. There you go. Yeah. Facts. So it obviously uh, hit a, a chord with that. I don't know whether it's international. Uh, it was internationally well received or not. But like you say, it had various names, so it obviously got exported. But yeah. uh, I think it's. I think they would consider it one of their success stories. I mean, certainly, it, it probably is a, a high point of Ray London's um, uh, TV career, isn't it? Indeed. I mean, I don't, I don't think he did anything in quite the same profile after that. I mean, because I, I, he was very much a uh, also starring in, in Yellow Thread Street. Yeah. Well, I've never <laughs> seen the Sandbaggers. I'm quite intrigued to see that because I've got it, and lots of people say it's a very good. Well, show. it was interesting because I did think that Sandbaggers. Uh, um, there are so, we've got so many other. S's I know so many. It's it's difficult. We'll get through the. Well, I think we'll have a series S at some point, which is just all the S's. Yeah. <laughs> well, the S's we can think of. Yes. So yes, so that was Harry's game. I'm, I'm, I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of relieved you liked it. I, I thought you were going to absolutely hate oh, it. Right. So that's good. No, I really enjoyed it. So, yeah. um, with, with a, with, yeah. you know. I mean, I, I, again, it's not. It, in terms of the history of TV drama, it's probably not. You know, it's not one of those ones that people ever think of. But I think it's got, it's got its place. Yeah. So yeah. So next time when we return, it will be the letter I. And aye. Yes, aye, for it will to be sure. Catch yourself on there, lad. Uh, <laughs> so until then, I've just got one word to say to you, and that word is potato. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm oh, sorry. Until next time, I've been Andy, and I've been Martin. You take care. Bye bye.